1: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today.
2: Welcome to So I Got to Thinking, a weekly podcast which attempts to answer the soul-searching questions set out by fictional journalist Carrie Bradshaw in the HBO series Sex and the City. Each week, Dylan Jones, Sex and the City superfan, editor of QX and Fashion Roadkill, (laughs) and myself, Juna Dawson, author and journalist at Soho House, will ask, are Carrie's musings still relevant for today? Which episode are we starting
1: with, Dylan? Well, surprisingly, we're starting with episode one.
2: (gasps) Series one, episode one, which is called...
1: Sex and the City.
2: And I think that's because they didn't have a better title for it.
1: Yeah. Sex and the city are both things that we're both, we are both have experience in, sex and cities.
2: We both live in cities and we have had sex.
1: Hence, we're qualified, completely qualified, to do this podcast. Absolutely.
2: <laughs> um, so what we will be doing each week is we are going to watch the episodes in chronological order. We felt that this keeps it nice and easy for you to play along at home. And then we will be getting together to... Ask ourselves the questions that Carrie Bradshaw was asking herself. Now, we have to remember that Sex in the City started 21 years ago. It was in 1998. Mm. Things have changed. Um, Dylan, what happens in episode one? Tell us, give us a little potted synopsis. So
1: episode one is uh, a typical pilot, isn't it? Mm. It introduces us to all the characters, obviously, it uh, kind of builds. I thought. I thought built really well the kind of cosmo- and set up really well the cosmopolitan world mm. that they live in, in which which is so cosmopolitan that they actually that they drink cosmopolitans. Yeah. Although that's really not a cosmopolitan thing to do now. Yeah. No. Um,
2: and it's like a be at one standard. The cosmopolitan. Yeah.
1: Probably because of Sex in the City. Yeah. Five pound deal on Cosmo. Two, two for
2: eight pounds, yeah.
1: Uh, Cosmo Jug, is there a Cosmo Jug at Weatherspoons? <laughs> at Rupert
2: Street, there almost certainly is. Oh my yeah. God, yeah.
1: But yeah, they just kind of, at one point it sort of focuses on a night out, doesn't it? They all go to Chaos.
2: Yes, which may on, may not be fictional. Yeah. It struck me as well, it's interesting, and like you said, it's very typical pilot. Like Carrie's hair is brown, yeah. um, which is off-putting, um, she lives in a different apartment.
1: I noticed that, uh, mm. behind a flickery neon sign. Yes. And I found that interesting because she's sort of, from my point of view anyway, I was surprised watching it back for the first time in a few years at how it's, it's actually quite cool. Like, it's a cool kind of edgier show than Sex and the City becomes Oh, later. a million
2: percent. Um, yeah.
1: She breaks the fourth wall.
2: Yes, um, which, as, as we make our way through season one of... Sex and the City, yes, the, the breaking of the fourth wall will become increasingly intrusive, I imagine. Yeah. Um. It, uh, it didn't happen again.
1: Uh, no, it didn't. Was it just episode one? No,
2: the whole first season. Yeah. And actually, episode one of season two as well, I think. But, but never mm. again.
1: I wonder why that is. I wonder if they thought it was too amateurish. Because it is a bit amdram, oh. isn't it, breaking the fourth wall?
2: I imagine because... If it, I mean, any super fan will know that it was based on a real weekly column in a New York mm-hmm. magazine by Candice Bushnell, yeah. who was CB, the real Carrie Bradshaw. Yeah. And she kind of created this proxy character for herself to have experiences through. And so one imagines Darren Starr, who created the show, was trying to sort of emulate the format of the column, mm-hmm. which was to speak to its readers, I guess. And the, the question, the first real question that Carrie posits is can women have sex like men? (laughs) And you're right, it's so much grittier. This question is posited while they are sitting around like drag queen bingo, I think.
1: Yeah, and this is in the... I wrote in my notes, in the first 10 minutes, we see smoking on screen, Mm -hmm. drag queens and boobs... All of which, like, a kind of par for the course now, oddly, smoking on screen is now more shocking than it was then. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, 21 years ago, people must have been watching it in middle America being like, oh, my God, what is this? Like,
2: Well, it's <laughs> not television, it's HBO. Uh,
1: so it's a paid, yeah, it's a paid, yeah, yeah so and that's I, how they get I around it. And I
2: think then, as well, HBO meant more than it does now, because obviously we're all very used to streaming and yeah. getting our TV shows from a multitude of places, <clears throat> whereas back in the day, it really was cable versus not cable. And Sex and the City was, I guess, at the time, the, the definitive HBO yeah. series, and HBO series have nipples in.
1: I loved that scene where they were all sitting around at, at dinner. It mm-hmm. was one of their birthdays, wasn't it? Was it Samantha's birthday?
2: Had, had Miranda turned something? Yeah. yeah.
1: But I loved it because I actually thought that episode as a whole... Gets five out of five scrunchies from me because, <laughs>
2: scrunchies. because
1: I had that ready to go
2: from Macon, Georgia. Because
1: I thought it was really well put together, and that brunch, that like dinner scene was just so good. Like, instantly, there was so much chemistry, and it was so funny, mm-hmm. and it was so outrageous. Like, when Miranda says with such relish, like, Linda Fiorentino, fucking the guy. And like, this was the first time, I think, I don't know for sure. Um, you might know, Mm. that people had seen women talking like that on TV.
2: The the difficult thing for us is I suppose we were in very different places in our lives in the 90s. I would have been, I think, 17 when it started, and I was shocked. It was because I'd grown up on, well, at the time, I suppose its closest contemporary was Ally McBeal, which Mm. was not on cable and felt much softer and much more gentle, and they would have never have said fuck. And, And so it did feel much more grown up. Um, It didn't feel, it didn't have that coziness. And I suppose that's something that HBO has always done quite well too. It didn't feel yet, because I think it did later, it didn't feel safe. Right, yeah. There was a feeling that these women had a certain hardness to them. And there wasn't, as yet because of course it was the first time we've met them, there wasn't that sense of shared history that we, we come to find out. So they were quite for... Quite, dare I say, in the first episode, quite cold. Women and they didn't. They don't interact with each other an awful lot. They're mostly filmed as four separates.
1: Yeah, and I, w- I was thinking about that. I remember that is the case for mo- again for most of the first season, mm-hmm. isn't it? They don't encounter each other. They all have their little stories. Yeah, and then maybe come together for like a drink.
2: Yeah. Whereas and they get more intertwined. Was that because they all despised each other? Mm. I mean, we should we should do that because now, of course, we know twenty years on, we know it seems likely that particularly Kim Cattrall and Sarah Jessica Parker weren't the best of friends. Yeah. And I think as we embark on our voyage to re-watch this series, I think we'll be looking out for clues, which it does, it breaks my heart because, of course, you want to believe they were really chums. Yeah, of course. So, Dylan. Yes, let's go back to the... Can women have sex like men? <laughs> what, with strap-ons? Um,
1: my first thought went to, like, Samantha, like, pegging the absolute vodka guy. That,
2: <laughs> are we allowed
1: to say pegging? We can say whatever um, we
2: like. It's our podcast.
1: Amazing, yeah. I mean, it's just so interesting, isn't it? Because now that question is just ridiculous. Like, it means nothing. Like, the question now wouldn't be, can women have sex like men? It would be like, what is a man according to society's preconceptions Mm -hmm. of gender? Like, it's just not a thing now. (laughs) Like,
2: I mean, yeah, and that that was sort of where my brain went to. I mean, for, again, if you're a newcomer to Sex and the City or a casual fan, the way that Carrie... So Carrie is struggling because she... um, She asks why why there's so many great single women in New York, but so few great single men. And Samantha and Miranda think that's because men can just have emotion-free, casual, no-string sex, whereas women are more inclined, in the words of Carrie, are more inclined to immersion and feeling. So Carrie sets herself a task. She tries to fuck an ex who's a bad, bad man. Um, She tries to fuck him, Kurt, um, and... She basically comes and goes. She gets her pleasure and then walks out the door. So it's not so much about pegging and strap-ons as it is can in well do I mean, I don't know, because I think I kind that, of, that sort of like you said, that, that sort of assumption that men and women are fundamentally different, yeah. I think would be challenged immediately now.
1: And it's interesting because the whole show is built on that, what men yeah. want and what women want. Um and there was a lot of stuff around that time period that was very built on men and women.
2: Oh, it was men are from Mars, women are from Venus yeah. territory. Yeah. And wasn't there a
1: film called What What Women Want? Yeah. Or like something, you know, that was just yep. awful. With, was it Mel Gibson? Mel Gibson, <laughs> yeah,
2: problematic.
1: Yeah. Um, Honk. But I liked, uh, that was another scene that I really liked, was Carrie walking out of his apartment, Tossing, like, kind of Mm -hmm. zhuzhing up her hair. Mm -hmm. Of course, she then, like, drops a load of condoms on the floor. (laughs) Imagine Um, what a scarlet woman she is. Yeah, which was scandalous, of course. But um, I liked that she pretty much did have casual, selfish sex as a woman Uh with no ramifications. I was half expecting her. The first time I saw it, to like then get an STI or something because like women aren't allowed to...
2: Or get pregnant, yeah. Or
1: something, yeah, and then have this whole crisis. But she did, and it was, yeah, that was probably pretty subversive for the time. Yeah,
2: and it's really... And I know from <clears> my my bits of working on TV scripts, that, that's what they want from a pilot. They want a pilot episode to do everything that the series is going to do and mm. very much nail its colours to the mast. Mm. And I think that's what it did. It was saying, this is not a show in which women are going to be punished for having sex. But then, of course, Carrie does realise that it doesn't leave her feeling good. Um, She she comes away from the experience with Kurt still feeling a bit sad and cold and empty and that's when of course she runs into mr big mr. Big. john james preston spoilers yep. um, <laughs> they bump into each other on the street and it leads to one of the most iconic lines i think of the whole series which is have you ever been in love to which he replies absolutely which i think we've all said on many occasions um and i think yeah that that's that's possibly the even bigger question have you ever been in love dylan I
1: am, currently. That's Aww. disgusting, isn't it? Um, yeah. I, something I thought is the way they t- t- talk about love in mm. the show, particularly in those these first couple of episodes that we've just watched, is quite outdated and quite sentimental. Mm. Um, I'm not saying love doesn't exist, because I think it does. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's a good job, because we've
1: got yeah. about six seasons of this to go. Otherwise we'd be fucked. Yeah. Um, but... It's just like, have you ever been in love? I don't know. It might be a bit of an American thing as well. Mm. But I think they do it with a kind of Woody Allen almost-ish sentimentality that we don't really have room for now in 2019. I think Mm. people would roll their eyes at that. What do you think? Do you know what I mean? Yeah,
2: I think... It was important for the series because, like I said, so I came to it as a very sweet and innocent. Oh, my God, in fact, when I first saw Sex and Mr. I would have been a virgin. You'd have been a child. I should say, for the record, I think I'm nine years older than Dylan. Yeah. So that puts things into perspective. But So I would have been a virgin at the time I had grown up on this real diet of Dawson's Creek. Uh-huh. And, I mean, how sad is this? How programmed had i had been? I did think the ideal scenario to have sex would be after dating and love.
1: See, this explains a lot about us because mm. I watched Sex in the City when I was a teenager. Mm. So I was a bit too young when it was actually coming out. Yeah, but I watched it. Started watching it when I when I was like fifteen, sixteen. So I thought the ideal way to have sex was Samantha.
2: Ah, <laughs> oh my gosh! Suddenly, you know, suddenly,
1: suddenly everything makes sense. it
2: all makes sense. <laughs> Knowing Dylan, it all this tiny light bulb has gone on. Um the their forthrightness as women having sexual liberation but for me the scene at the end where big blind sides carry by saying, oh I get it, you've never been in love and then me realising, oh, so it actually is a show about her finding love and that she does want to be in love. That kind of sealed the deal for me. I think had it been, and actually i tell you what, that's why I couldn't warm to girls, the the, the later kind of follow-on, I guess, from Sex in the City, the Leonard Dunham show. Yeah. Because it didn't, for me, sort of have that romance to it. And I think actually, and I know as an author as well, that people love the notion of romance. Even if they say they don't like yeah. romance, we do Love it. Yeah. Even if we know it's corny, well, it's there's something huge, about it.
1: It's such a huge part of our lives, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Like so much of our brains and conversations are taken up by like who we're sleeping with, who we're dating, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, what was I going to say? I wasn't a massive fan of girls either. I um, hope Lena Dunham's not listening otherwise we'll be Lena
2: involved. I love you and I love your writing but I just didn't I loved Marnie I thought Marnie was hilarious Was
1: she the English one?
2: No she was the one who did the cover version of What I Am by <laughs> Tintin' Out which was hysterical The English
1: one was my favourite um,
2: Again explains a lot
1: yeah. <laughs> Jessa that was Jessa yeah We still haven't really keeps skirting around the question Having sex like a man. So what Kerry meant by it, despite the weird phrasing, was saying that men generally have sex, can have sex without feeling. As a man, I can have sex without feeling.
2: Now, this is interesting. Now, this is where there isn't, I swear to the tiny baby Jesus, there isn't going to be like a trans corner every week where I wax lyrical <laughs> about my somewhat that would be. That would be great. Hi, or in trans corner. Where <laughs> I wax lyrical about sort of my somewhat altered perception on masculinity and yeah. femininity, having sort of been raised, you know, with the world thinking I was a boy and then me kind of being like, psych. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but... I will say, and I obviously, this was never going to happen in the show because, as we will get to, it wasn't massively switched on regarding trans issues. Christ, yeah. But um, I think you're right. And I think there was a period when I was living in London, when I was in my 20s. And being in a culture, the gay, and I don't think it's just the gay scene, I think there's a slightly different cultural norm for men and specifically men on the gay scene, which there was a very permissive attitude to, dare I say it, having social sex yeah so kind of like I've got some pals I have sex with yeah and it was a bit like I'm you know I'm going to play badminton with my friends kind of this is yeah. on sometimes on a Friday I might meet up with Andrew kind of
1: I like that social sex that's a good social way social sex good, yeah, yeah and it was kind
2: of you know kind of an you know there was if if you wanted sex sex was always there now about six years ago I started on my hormone therapy and began the quirky journey to womanhood <laughs> and basically went through a second adolescence Can
1: that please be the name of your
2: next word. <laughs> quirky <laughs> journey to womanhood, and um, things are different. And it must be to do with the fact that now, as you all know, if you if you are down on your sort of endocrinology, that I have less testosterone in my system than like a six year old girl. Part of the reason I look the way I do is because they switch it off, mm. and when that went off, all of a sudden I realised, oh, it wasn't being horny. It was testosterone, and that's what testosterone feels like. It feels like horny. And it's a... I mean, and to go from having quite a lot of it to having none of it was was an eye-opener, to say the very least. And so possibly... What a more woke Charlotte. Mm. And we'll say we've not created the concept of work Charlotte. It was created by the very funny Instagram account, Every Outfit on Satka. Um, Track them down. Um, The notion of work Charlotte is that what if Charlotte had been very switched on with her liberal politics.
1: And we're going to be referencing her throughout every so often. Of course. (laughs) If something
2: is really problematic, work Charlotte will join us and she will tell us what they should have said. In spirit. And um, I think possibly what work Charlotte would say is that you know, are there women out there with more testosterone than others? Mm -hmm. And looking at these four women in the show, it seems highly likely that Samantha has (laughs) a higher testosterone count than the other three. So in that capacity, absolutely women can have sex like men because as we all know, all men have a degree of estrogen. All women have a degree of testosterone. And it's actually the prevalence of those hormones that changes within us individually.
1: So... It's not the cleverest question from Carrie, is
2: it? <laughs> I'm going to say possibly she's not the cleverest character in it. I think that's, that's Miranda.
1: Miranda's definitely the cleverest.
2: Um, I think, yeah, it was. I think it was her way of, and I think this is true of the whole series, Carrie was operating in a different system to the system we operate in now. Yeah. The word feminism is never mentioned in six seasons of Sex and the City.
1: Wow, do we know that? For, is that-
2: well, we will check that out. We're going to check that, but... To to my knowledge of of Sex and the City, it has never been mentioned.
1: I imagine as well. This is another thing we can look into. Um, I can imagine that Sex and the City fails the Bechdel test spectacularly in every episode
2: because they're mostly talking about men. Yeah, there is a
1: scene in one episode where Miranda's like, "Why do we just sit and talk about men all the time?" Which makes me wonder. Spoilers. We've not done. Yeah, we need to. We need to. Yeah, (laughs) I'm getting ahead of myself. What else was I going to say about episode one? Um, oh, can we talk about the terrible, <laughs> this is such a small thing, can we talk about the terrible English accent from that woman <gasps> at the beginning? She's
2: clearly Australian. Well, yeah. it
1: goes kind of like Madonna circa 1999 <laughs> and then goes Australian. It's like, she's like, oh, I hope you feel better. <laughs> on the like, what is going on?
2: Elizabeth was a journalist who had moved to Manhattan from London. Yeah. Um, m- That's it. It doesn't say she's from London. She could be from Johannesburg. That's a potential as well.
1: Um, Also, Samantha seeing Big across the bar at Chaos and Mm. saying he's the next Donald Trump. I was like... Hasn't aged
2: well, has it? Because, of course, as we know, Trump was not... Well, Mr Big did not turn out to be the next Trump, thankfully. Um, (laughs) As well, I think the saddest scene for me, and I think, again, one that... This kind of scene didn't happen a lot later that very bittersweet moment where Sam puts out for the man that Charlotte had rejected. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's something quite dark about that Mm. that speaks slightly, dare I say it, a little bit slut-shamey, which is that Charlotte comes across as more virtuous in that scene, whereas Samantha kind of gets Charlotte's leftovers. That left a slightly funny taste in my mouth, and that kind of sort of flat card. they didn't rely on that very much.
1: I thought, I really noticed that as well, actually. And then sort of Samantha's face when he says, like oh, I have to get re- get up really early so you can't stay over. Mm. She sort of just kind of nods and, like, accepts it. But you can tell she's not very happy. Yeah. Um,
2: Whereas later, you suspect you would have almost been the other way around. Samantha would have said, you know, come on, we've got half an hour, kind of.
1: Yeah. And I think... That's so true. Yeah, Samantha would have mm. kicked him out.
2: Increasingly, I think, down the line, <laughs> Samantha's sexual exploits were played for laughs. But in the first episode, it, that was, I thought, quite a dark You could thing. also
1: argue, though, that it was... A portrait of how men treat women like shit. Like first yep. he like <laughs> there's the awful, quite unrealistic line in the taxi with Charlotte yeah. when he's like, Oh, I just need to like you would never say that. I just need to have sex tonight. And he gets with gets in the te- cab with her to the club.
2: Oh, or sweet Charlotte, yeah.
1: Yeah. Being um, tempted
2: back to see his Ross Blakener.
1: Yeah. Oh, the Ross Bl- <laughs> that fucking Ross Blakner.
2: <laughs> Ever um, it's all anybody can talk about.
1: <laughs> I was gonna say as well though, that added and I noticed a few other bits in that episode in particular that, again, added to this very cool, much cooler than later. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's lots of art and culture and music referenced, whereas later it's just like Christian Dior and like just fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, not just fashion, but, you know, fashion. Um, yeah,
2: it felt, the whole thing felt like it was in a real version of New York.
1: Yeah, very, yeah, New York was very real.
2: And yeah. I'm going to be really interested as we go through the this series again to see if we can put our finger on when it jumps the shark. Because by and eventually, don't worry, we'll get there, the second film, (laughs) these women lived in a different world. Yeah. You know, it'd been a long time as well since they'd been in a real version of New York. And the
1: outfit has got steadily more ridiculous. Bonkers, yeah. Um, But I think, yeah, episode one, aside from a couple of lines of dialogue, was quite realistic. Yeah. Uh, she lives. She's a bit more of a mess as well. Mm -hmm. She drops, like I said, she drops her condoms on the floor. She lives behind a neon light. She's like...
2: Her clothes are nondescript. She yeah. doesn't wear anything particularly unusual.
1: Yeah, that's what I thought too. Mm. She wears like a big fur coat, but then that's not unheard of. Um,
2: yeah, it was the 90s. Yeah. Fur was okay. Yeah. Um, I think we didn't... What I'm going to do is as well, one of the big criticisms about Sex and the City was how insanely white it was to say these women did live uh, yes, in yeah, New York. Yeah. Um, I'm going to keep a running count of how many people of color speak. Um, the pilot episode has zero. zero. Um, not not a single person of color speaks. Do we see in that any episode. people of color?
1: We I I noticed one woman in the street behind a
2: <laughs> That doesn't count. It's, I mean really if I if I was being quite Strict, I think they would have to be named characters as well. But I'm, I will be because we know it's going to be bad. We, it's been long noted, and it's true of Friends and lots of other shows from the nineties as well. Yeah. But I will, I will keep my running tally of people of colour who get lines of dialogue.
1: So so far we're at zero.
2: Zero, great start.
1: <laughs> it is ridiculous though because some people argue oh it's excusable within context but with Sex and the City these are like cool cosmopolitan women who live in New York
2: and it was filmed in New York
1: they would have black friends of course they would have friends of colour like they just would
2: <laughs> yeah I mean um, potentially that would have been raised as a question now there was obviously one episode where, where race was very much on the agenda and we will get to it in due cast I think it was a season two episode so we will get there but um, yeah. Um, yeah for now let's keep an eye on it because yes. I think it's certainly a criticism that's been levelled at the show and I strongly think it's probably a fair criticism, but let's let's see exactly how how bad it is. Yeah. So that was series one, episode one, Sex in the City. Yeah. Can men have no? Can women yeah. have sex like men? The answer is an unfailing <laughs> yes. Yes. But also no, because we are not assuming there are categorical gender differences Basically, between men and women.
1: It's a mute point because it's now on a just such an absurd question that it's barely understandable yes
2: (laughs) i think yeah possibly in closing the the argument should be in a patriarchy can women have sex like men to which the answer is actually probably not because there's never going to be that same sense of yes or no Please do join us next week when we will blah, when we will be watching season one episode two models and, and mortals. Models and mortals, yeah. Thank you, Dylan. Thank you, Juno. And um, I'm off to Sirha House Pool for a, <laughs> for a dip. What else can you do? See you next time. <laughs> Bye.